and hello this welcome to this xbox life episode 423 we got games i am mark aka wingman 709 and that beautiful music you heard was i pulled a brun and we got the ad on twitch going over our intro how beautiful was that um so yeah we did that we did that on purpose though we did that just in memory of brun uh with me tonight uh, is my good buddy rob Yo, what's up, everybody? And uh, he's recording live from the bathroom. <laughs> no, I'm <just> yeah. <laughs> I just tease, I tease. Stall number two. Stall number two. Looks like they got a nice chair, though. It looks like it's a leather-covered chair you got. <laughs> it's a throne. It's a throne. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Rob is in his new location, so... Uh, that's uh, why things look different. And he's still in the process of moving moving in, so he's on his Apple iPhone headset that he doesn't use on an iPhone. It is not iPhone. This is Samsung all the way. Stealing the Apple white. <laughs> <laughs> all okay. right. I didn't know that Apple trademarked the color. but <laughs> Probably I wouldn't be surprised. <clears throat> All right, Rob, we got a lot to talk about this week, so why don't we jump into it, um, and what have you been playing this week? Not a heck of a lot, just moving. Actually, if there was a game that involved boxes and moving stuff and doing Tetris with boxes, that's what I was playing, and it sucks. I don't want to play this game ever again. <laughs> I want a refund. Uh, that's, that's about it for me. <laughs> Tetris for reals, right? Tetris for reals sucks a lot, as I'm sure you know, because you've done it, I think, more than I have. I am done doing that. At least that's my hope. I hope and That's hope. what we always say. We always say that the last one was the last one, and there's always the next one. <laughs> How does that work? I don't like that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, hopefully our, our show's broadcast. It looks like it's broadcasting. Yeah, it is. Um, I can't seem to chat in the chat window. Um, it's not letting, like, I hit enter, I hit chat, and it's not posting it. So I do not know what the dealio is there. So I don't know if anyone's going to be able to chat or if it's just me. It's just you. It might be. It's working for me. I don't see it. I don't see anything in that chat window. Well, there's maybe, maybe I'll have to... and myself so far. Okay, well, it's it's. I'm hoping that's that's good as long as it works for you guys. Yeah. Hey, there it worked. Okay, I just refreshed. Right. Stupid freaking Twitch page and Chrome and PCs and all this stuff. It doesn't work. All right. So, so I know. While you've um, been playing real life Tetris, I've been playing virtual games. And uh, one of the things I did, I played Rock Band 4 this weekend with um, Xbox recording that. Uh, that is his... No, stop listening. <laughs> um, didn't know that was happened, did you? I was trying to say it quiet enough that the Kinect wouldn't hear it. but uh, It's watching TV right now, so it was like, I can't do that. I can only record game clips. And, um, I played Rock Band 4 because... Um, they now have uh, uh, multiplayer, so you can play with your friends over the internet. 
um, a feature that was in Rock Band 2 and 3, and then they took them a year and an expansion pack to put it into 4. So I'm like, real lame, guys. But I had a good time playing with them and uh, enjoyed playing multiplayer Rock Band 4 again. I tried the For Honor beta. This, uh, I can say this much, I'm not buying the game. It, it looks really, really good. It, it looks fantastic. Have you tried this, Rob? No. Okay. It's... All my stuff's still in boxes and totes. Oh, okay. It looks really... Whoa, Rob is full screen. Whew, scared me. Ooh. Um, oops. I wonder if that's going to take you... I think I might have just messed up. I just moved... Just moved my yeah that Rob just disappeared. I moved my Skype window. <laughs> nice You're back. So you just disappeared for a few minutes. Um, hey, I'm not used to this. I'm trying to get you know Brunny usually does this. Um, anyways, so for the For Honor beta, the the game looks fantastic. I mean, it's a gorgeous game. I was just like, wow, this is beautiful, and I really enjoyed Rise Son of Rome which I think this is, you know, very similar type of game. But this game is going to be just too complicated for me. They've got, and it's just not, it's just not me. I need simple. I'm an old guy. I'm slow. I need, I need simple, right? I need Tetris. <laughs> but, um, like, you can block um, a top attack, a left or the right. You can strike left, right, or up. And there's, like, several different button combinations to make it. So, like, you hold the left trigger and then move the stick a certain way to defend. Or or you let go of the trigger, I think, and hit the right trigger and move the stick or hit the A button. Or so, I don't know. There, there's different combinations on how you want to light, like a, a medium strike or a hard strike. or you know. There, and it's just, it, I think it's okay. Um, what I played was more of, real people against AI. So it was kind of more of a horde mode. That's the only thing I played. I didn't want to play against real people because I'm like, man, I this is just... I was getting my butt kicked by AI. And um, I'm like, I just don't want to go in and do this against um, real people. It, it's just going to be one of those that will frustrate me because other people are going to be so quick with their strikes and stuff. And it's just, it's not me. It's not my type of game. Um, so I'm not going to get it, but, um, I did enjoy what I played because I was playing against AI. Um, but I think this game is mainly going to be a lot of multiplayer. That's what, that's what it's really geared towards. And I think there's a campaign for it, but I even thought, you know what, even the campaign's probably going to frustrate me because they're going to come at you, you know, and I'm going to struggle with it just with the controls. So I, I'm not going to end up getting this game, but. It really is okay. beautiful. And then uh, Mojo Red, I saw him playing Rainbow Six Siege the other night, so I'm like, hey, you got room? He was playing Terrace Hunt. I haven't played that in a while, and he's like, yeah, I'm playing. So I hopped in, and I was like talking to him. I was like, so did you get the new season pass? And he's like, yeah, I got it. Figured, why not? And I was like, yeah, you're right. It's just money anyways, right? So I went and go ahead, dropped the 30 bucks. So it's Mojo Red's fault that I bought that season pass, for season pass 2 for Siege. But um, the new map was really cool. So it's a great game, and I'm like, yeah, I don't mind paying and supporting a developer 
when they do make good stuff and they're going to have another season of more content so and man i had a lot of fun in terrorist hunt that i was like man i haven't played this too too far too long um so i really enjoyed playing that um but that's it for me so okay and i'm already messing up on here not advancing slides man Bron, come back so Bron's out because he's sick again um so we gotta wish him well so he can hopefully be back next week he was sick last week and um believe it or not he sounded pretty good but he was sick um but he he uh he still made the show and this week he's just like guys i can't do it i'm going to bed so get better Bron. all right anything else on what you played there rob nope nope so you can support us at Patreon by going to thisxboxlife.com forward slash Patreon. Or if you want to leave us a one-time tip, go to thisxboxlife.com forward slash donate. You appreciate the tips. All right. Roundtable time. And I got a Call of Duty. So, Rob, do you like the latest where Call of Duty is gone? Do you like the whole space thing? Or do you like it back to its roots? I, I kind of uh, stopped playing Call of Duty a while back. I don't really pay attention to it, <laughs> unfortunately. It's, it, it's nice that they're going to different uh, themes, I'll call it that, because if you go back to its roots, roots, there's only so much World War II we can handle every year. <laughs> so it, it's kind of nice that they're you know doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But uh, it, it has been a while since we have had World War II, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, um, I find it interesting timing, too. But uh, IGN reported this week that Activision has said Call of Duty is going to take Call of Duty back to its roots. Uh, they elaborated that traditional combat will once again take center stage in this year's title, which is currently being done by Sledgehammer Games. Uh, they did say that there was a lower-than-expected sales of Infinite Warfare, uh, noting that the space setting didn't resonate with players and Infinite Warfare wasn't the success we planned. Uh, so, I, you know, that's really all they said. But So, here's my question. Going back to their roots, does that necessarily mean World War II? Because they didn't state World War II, and that's really where it's Call of be. Duty came from. It's gotta be. Do you think uh, do you think the success of Battlefield One has anything to do with that? Could be, could be. Because I think that so, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, if I believe correctly, and I could look it up, but I believe that it still outsold Battlefield One. Okay. But not by near as much as it. It's like the numbers were a lot closer this time. Oh, are you kidding me? Oh. Stupid! I hate that site. We gotta. I hate IGN, dude. You tell it no ads. You you got it all turned off, and then it, they just they just keep like the pages like refreshes just to spit their ads out at you, dirt bags. Um, I just I don't know. I don't think I have any desire. I mean, I didn't finish the campaign for Infinite Warfare, but I've heard a lot of good things about this one. Like people seem to really like the campaign. But I haven't heard anything much about the multiplayer, which I guess that's what Call of Duty is. You know, it is the multiplayer. So I guess that's where it's 
getting the negative reviews, if you will. So, I guess if you like um, World War II, which we're assuming that uh, the next Call of Duty comes out in November of this year, we'll be back to that World War II type of warfare. So, you know, now that I think about it, like immediately when, immediately I think, when I hear back to its roots, I immediately think World War II. Could they mean the gameplay? Like they're going to be changing something with the gameplay instead of... Well, that see, that's the thing. The article just talked about gameplay. They didn't state about back to its roots of its setting. Back to the roots. So maybe... You know, they could. It could also mean that they're going to get away from. Well, the thing is, is because they did say the space setting didn't resonate, so they're going to go back to their roots. Well, does that mean World War Two? Because modern warfare was like huge. You know, that really I think propelled Call of Duty just like astronomically. I mean, Call of Duty was very popular, but modern warfare was as well. So. But you could look at it as like back to the roots in the setting, which is what I kind of take from the way they said that. But they also mentioned about the style of play, which, okay, now is it getting to be with all these perks and all these things? Are they going to just kind of cut all that out and go back to just like your standard shooter without all the perks and the special moves and the special abilities? And, you know, because that could be going back to their roots too. Yeah, could be. But. I guess we'll have to wait till E3 um, when they uh, announce it during the Sony PlayStation press conference. Since uh, Activision has squarely sided with Sony and gotten embedded with them, so we won't see anything until the Sony press yeah. conference. Uh, all right. So, anyways, oh great, I got to go back to their website. Um, so IGN again, dirtbags. Um, they've released some updates to Destiny. And I, I'm not a Destiny fan, Rob. I don't think you are. No, nope. um, Bron was the one who did a lot of. Even though I played this a lot, but I know we got a lot of people out there. So they've got an update 2.5.0.2. This is a hot fix for Destiny. It is set to release on the 14th of February on Valentine's Day. How sweet! So um, are you trying to ruin Valentine's Day? Well, I don't know. Maybe if your love likes the love of your life likes to play Destiny, then. You guys can share in the hot fix together. Good chance. <laughs> it's a hot fix for Valentine's. <laughs> um, the hot fix is going to f- focus primarily on weapon balancing um, based on player feedback and in-studio testing. Uh, so and I'm not going to read all these notes at all. But uh, there's going to be some class changes and... The exotics are some of the rare strongest weapons and armor in Destiny. Uh, Guardians can only equip one armor and uh, exotic. So they're going to balance out uh, Universal Remote, Truth, uh, Shinobis Vow, and Young Wolf's Howl. So there's kind of some other things that are going to be changed. And then they got some PvP Crucible stuff that's going to be changed as well. So in the Crucible side, the sidearms will still spawn with ammo upon death. Players start matches with special ammo, but you now lose all special ammo upon death. Special ammo crates will spawn every 60 seconds. Previously, this was 90. Uh, Reduce the radius for special ammo drops for teammates when you pick up ammo from 100 meters to 75 meters. 
Players only start with special on the first round in Elimination, and in Vective and Icebreaker are not affected. So just for those Destiny players, those are some things coming up this week in that game. Um, outside of the current game, it is official now that Destiny is getting its sequel. Um, fight with these guys all night, aren't I? They're stupid ads. Um, so Activision has confirmed that a sequel to Destiny is still on track for release in 2017. So we are looking at a Destiny Part 2. Um, in a presentation accompanying its fourth quarter 2016 earnings today, Activision, well, not today, but the day the article was written, um, uh, Activision clarified that it will release a full Destiny sequel in 2017 to broaden the franchise's global reach, which, along with follow-on content plans, sets the stage for growth. So if you're looking for uh, Destiny 2, it is on the way. Do not have a release date, but I would imagine. Do you think this will release, Rob, in the holiday season against Call of Duty, the next uh, battle? Because we got Call of Duty coming out. Battlefield yeah. or Star uh, No. Star Wars Battlefront 2 is coming out this holiday. Um, I mean, those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head, but those are, you know, the big juggernauts that come out every year. You think Destiny will throw its hat in the ring or maybe come out summertime between maybe June and September? Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. it. It would have to be October, November. Yeah, they got to get in the mix there. It could probably hang. I mean, it's a very popular game. I mean, it's possible. It's just anything that releases early just gets forgotten about after October, November. They'd have to release right around that time, I would think. That's, that's what would make sense to me. Yeah. Well, what makes sense to us and what they do yeah. is several different things. So, All right. I, I guess it depends on if you want to get that gaming dollar early and then you don't care. Well, I, I think, it, I guess it depends on what else is really going to come out. Like, Mass Effect is coming out here early, so that's not going to be sitting back there. Um, all your sports games summer? should be out already. How early? Huh? How early? Mass Effect's coming out in, uh, what, the um, in March? Right, the end of March. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's okay. like six that's weeks right. away, so... You don't have that juggernaut coming out, um, but uh, I'm sure there's probably going to be a Forza game, but that really doesn't fit into, that's not a, you know, Destiny's not competing against that. They are going to compete against Call of Duty and Battlefield for the money, I believe. Um, and you think about it, I, I don't know when the last one came out. I'd have to look that up, but uh, I am going to look that up because I'm curious. When the original Destiny launched, Got to go to the Wikipedia. So, September. I'm sorry, but I have to say this: Is the sequel going to be Destiny's Child? Ah, maybe. Ah. So the original game released in September. So I, I honestly wouldn't think that they would dip into November timeframe. I would imagine these guys would want to release it and just not risk being. And plus, it's Activision. They don't want to release in November against their other franchise called Duty. That's true. So I think uh, we'll maybe probably a good see time it. Is, maybe a good time is right after E3. Catch the buzz. Ride the buzz off of the show. Yeah, I, I would imagine they're going to do a big 
reveal and all that. And then, uh, which is interesting, if they are releasing it this year, we haven't seen anything, you know. But uh, I don't know. If you think about Activision, they don't. They kind of tend to hold their money and they go all out in a blitz, you know. Shortly, they don't do this three-year lead-up to um, marketing. Yeah, I think September will probably would be a good safe time for Destiny 2. We'll see. Probably E3. All right. So, Rob, you've played games from Valve, correct? Yes, sir. And um, have you played any on console? I don't think I have. (laughs) So I got to ask this because Gabe Newell um, said, don't expect to see any Valve-developed games coming to consoles anytime soon. So Um, there's still a chance. (laughs) Gabe has come forward to express the company's lack of interest in developing for restrictive platforms. So, you know, when I read this, my thought was, I like restrictive platforms because the games work now yes on occasion there's server side issues or you know there's there's always going to be a bug or something in a game but it's like i don't have to worry about oh it doesn't work with this processor it doesn't work with this video card or you got to update this driver and you know i i like the whole closed system i mean i used to be a pc gamer and i got so tired of dealing with you know, massive patches and constant driver issues and all these different things. And it's like, ever since I've gone to the to console gaming, you just you put your disc in or you, you launch the digital version, you click it and boom, you install it and you play. Right. Uh, so I don't really understand what the whole, you know, closed restrictive systems, you know, we don't want to develop for them. We want to develop for PC only. And I'm sorry, I got to believe that Valve would see a, a lot more money if they were developing for consoles because you would have a lot less piracy going on. You know? I mean, what do you think, yeah. Rob? So, I mean, it's a very good question because Valve's been around for a really long time. They started making games, then they did the whole Steam system, which just... Wasn't Steam initially just a way to play multiplayer games or something like that? I could have sworn that's how it started. But anyway, it it just grew into this huge, massive store. And now that's where the majority of of PC folks, you know, get their games from. You know, know, except for like the AAA titles, which, uh, you know, on release you get at the store or whatnot. You know, there's so many like indie developers that release on there. You have the uh, what was that, early access games that are on there, and they they profit from that. I'm sure that they get a cut from each sale. And would they lose that by developing on consoles? Probably, because now they're going to be paying Sony. They're going to be paying uh, Nintendo. They're going to be paying. Xbox, Microsoft. So I could see them just not wanting to give that up. However, there's a huge market for uh, PC gaming that they could tap 
However, would the hardcore gamers, would they just grab the titles on PC? Like Braun, for example, he gets a lot of stuff on Steam, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he does, but I don't think he invests a lot of time either. But, uh, and like myself, I play, you know, I would probably buy like Steam games or Valve games if they put them on the console. Um, I've done, I had the uh, Orange Box, which was released on 360. Um, didn't they do um, Left 4 Dead? Wasn't that Valve? No. No, I think so. I thought it was. Or am I thinking of the wrong... Yeah, Left 4 Dead. I'm pretty sure that's exactly who makes this. I think those are Valve games. Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2. Source engine. I'm going to take a look now. I'm looking and it says... Oh, that's an... Yeah, it's Valve. Yeah, so Valve was the publisher and Valve South was the developer, so... I mean, oh, they've yeah. done it before, and Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 were, like, really popular games. I can't believe they don't want to tap into that that money market. And and what I find interesting, too, is they're like, well, we don't want to um, work on a restrictive system. Well, isn't Steam in and of itself sort of restrictive? Because, like, there's been some games that have released recently on the Windows platform where you got you can buy the Windows version or the Steam version. And if you have the Steam version, you can't play with the Windows version people. Well then why is that? Then that mean that tells me that Steam is a restricted environment. That they won't even let PC gamers play together unless you're in their environment. So it seems kind of ridiculous that they're sitting there saying, Well, we're not going to develop on a restricted system. When they are developing for their own restricted system. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I say, whatever, Gabe. All the power to you, man. Uh, you, you won't get me coming over, and you're not going to get my money. If you want my money, then uh, put, put something out on the Xbox One, and uh, you're going to get a lot more gamers, uh, a lot more purchases if you develop for the PlayStation and the Xbox. That's, that's just simple math. You've got, what, between both consoles of the current consoles, 80 plus million consoles out there, and they don't want a part of that. I mean, that's that's a big that's a big group of people, and I, and I would say there's the probably PCs, a lot of those people PC that are. What's that? So maybe the PC side is so big that they just don't care. <laughs> I would still think an additional 80 million people that you could reach out to. Yeah, and yeah some of them are going to be PC gamers and console gamers, but not all of them. Right. It's just like not all uh, not all PC gamers play on consoles. Not all console players play on PC. Um, it's just it's just like me. I do not play on PC. It's very rare. Um, the last time I did, I bought XCOM two, and freaking thing didn't work. You know, and it's just like oh, I get it on the Xbox One. Guess what? The game worked. <laughs> it's just like yeah. why would I? You know, it was just a reminder. Yep, stay away from PC gaming. It's not worth the hassle. Um, and you know, I don't care if they made Half-Life 3 for PC only. Guess what? I'm not going to bother. So, But I just found it ironic that they would say we're not going to develop for a restricted system when they have their own. And they're restricting current Windows games. If you're not in their ecosystem, you can't play against the same people of the same game, playing the same game on the same Windows 10 OS, but you can't play with them because they're not in Steam. It's, it's ridiculous. 
I just looked here. Left 4 Dead 2 came out in 2009. Wow. So it's been, it's been quite a while Yeah. since they released anything. All right. Oh, well. Enough of that. They suck. They know it. I'm right. They're wrong. <laughs> um all right so i wanted to so mass effect andromeda is coming up again next month and uh, I, rob you went through i know you said you played what part of two and three or something like that i played part of about halfway through three and then i don't know how far i got in one okay um so, but you remember the Paragon Renegade system, right? Mm. Regarding your choices, like, so when when you were in the dialogue and you were selecting the dialogue you wanted to say, like there was choices that were Paragon, which were good, oh, yeah. like you were the good guy, and if you said certain things, it would kind of put points toward the Renegade. Means you kind of like you know, because there was options of like, you know, punch him in the face or you know, say something nice or something like that. Well, if you punched him in the face, then you're kind of renegade. You're, you're like, you know, and then if you were the other guy, you know, you're, you're nice and you're the good shepherd and you work with people and you're, otherwise you're just a rebel. Well, that's kind of, that system's been in all three Mass Effect games and they're, they're getting rid of it. It's been removed for Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, so in an interview with official Xbox magazine, Walters, uh, Mac Walters, creative director, has explained that it didn't really make sense if we, were, we weren't going to have Shepard as our protagonist. Walters said the new system is based more around agreeing and disagreeing. He said in the original trilogy, players would choose a dialogue response based on whether it was Paragon or Renegade and not actually thinking about what they were saying. And I totally disagree with that statement. But... With agree and disagree, it changes by the circumstances and it changes by the character you're talking to. So you have to actually be more engaged in what's going on to know if you're going to do that, said Walters. You'll also be able to respond in varying tones of voice to get your point across. We added in four tones and we'll talk a little more in the future, but basically they allow other types of characters to express themselves in one of four different ways and sometimes one or two different ways. And I think that gets back to more traditional role-playing sort of feeling with is less about do it do I want it to be good or bad, and more about how do I want to express my express myself. Um, they're going to talk more about tones in a future um, in a couple of weeks. So, I I mean I don't kind of agree with them. I know if I recall on their dialogue wheel, if you went left, you know the left selections, you, whether you had two or three on the left. They were all Paragon, but there were still different options of how you could respond. And then to the right was the same thing. You know, usually it would match two or three. And anything to the right was the Renegade. You know, and so I feel like I still would, like, read these. Yes, I was playing Paragon, so I would pretty much just read the ones on the left. And maybe that's what he's referring to. But I still, I just didn't want to play as a bad guy. You know, I tried. I actually tried to do a Mass Effect run as a paragon and i didn't get very far and i ended up going back to or i'm sorry trying to play as renegade and a little while into it i'd go back and, and play as paragon i'm just you know it's like it's not the type of game in that type of game i don't really want to be a bad guy i just it's right. just not what i want to do it's just 
innate, natural. You know, I think it, it those types of games reach more to like, um, how would you think? How would you uh, respond to this? And it's just like, this is really, you know, this is the path I want to take. It's not like GTA where you go around and shoot up cops and gangs and it's very different. I can do that and be the bad guy in an action game like that, but in like a role playing, it's it's different. You know, I I feel like it's very different for me. I have a hard time being the bad guy. What about you? I get it. To some degree, the choices that you make, especially if you are playing the game. Um, you know, if you get like sucked into the game, you're gonna make the choices like say like morally to what you believe in to some degree. I mean, don't don't you agree with that? Like you tend to do things like how you would actually do it in real life. Yeah, in in this type of game, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so you know, I I, I, could, I definitely see how it, it might be difficult to play the other way, unless you know, unless you. I've done it one way, and then now you're playing through a second time, and you want to do it the other way just for the experience. But uh, you know, I, I could see people's motivations in the games be based off of their morals. Yeah, and I don't see anything. I mean, you know, for me, it was like I can't remember. I'm trying to remember if the conversations were timed. Um, I can't. I cannot remember if you had the respond within a set amount of time or not I, I i don't think so like i know uh like the the telltale games you know when you got to do your dialogue you only have a short amount of time to respond and yeah. sometimes it's like it's i was just, still reading them you know <laughs> like, um, and then it goes like what no response <laughs> so i have anything to say yeah i don't i i so hopefully because my concern now is if there's a time if it was timed or it's going to be timed in andromeda and they're going to give you these different options, and then you've got to decide on your tone as well on how to, okay, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to make sure you give us time to read everything. Um, and, and I think with Mass Effect I did. I think you had time to read. I don't think it was, I don't think they limited, you know, gave you like 15 seconds to respond. I, I just, I'm trying to remember that, but um, now there, it's just, I don't know, now they're going to add in your emotion. Watch now in the beginning of the game, it gives you a reading test. Please read the that. following paragraph aloud. We're going to click A when you're done. Welcome to Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah. Congratulations, you are on the slow track. <laughs> we'll give you 18 minutes to respond to all dialogue. <laughs> options in the game like sweet <laughs> so, a little reading helmet <laughs> exactly all right so anyways that'll be interesting to see what comes out i just uh i don't know if i agree with their i didn't necessarily agree with their reasoning um i want to play as a good guy so yeah i'm gonna ignore the the other side it didn't mean i did not know what was going on in the game if i ignore the renegade doesn't mean i'm not paying attention to the story or that i'm not paying attention to the dialogue very much but i'm only going to read those that are on the good side if that's the way i want to play you know so i don't see what was wrong with that all right so rob yes this this is gonna be all right so this next one now we could uh this could potentially upset people 
And I just want to say, direct all hate mail towards uh, Rob at this xboxlife.com. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, this was my story. But this was from uh, your, your buddy, Paul Therott. And okay. he had an article about the Xbox One faces a familiar sales story in January. And we got to get honest, people. I know we're an Xbox podcast, and we all are fans of this. And dang, Rob, have some soda, buddy. <laughs> My cups and glasses are still in boxes. Give me a break. You drink straight out of a two liter. It's like you're drinking 40s over there or something. Like nothing left in here. <laughs> End of the bottle. Um. It was full when we started the show, people. Um, so, uh, anyways, so I want to take a time, a moment out. We're not bashing. We're not hating on Xbox. But I think we do need to have a discussion about this, Rob, because okay. it, it is reality. And I'm curious as to your thoughts on does the reality matter? Um, so let me, I want to read this, a couple of items that Mr. Therat stated. Um, in this article. So he says, this is starting to become a tradition. Microsoft announces record sales of its Xbox One console, but it still manages to fall short of the PS4. Uh, thanks to, uh, quote, thanks to, well, I don't need to read that. Um, so, well, yeah, yeah, I do need to. So he said, uh, here's the Microsoft quote. Thanks to continued support by our fans, 2017 is off to a strong start as Xbox One game hours grew 21% year over year. Microsoft statement attributed to corporate vice president of Xbox marketing, Mike Nichols, read, reads, in addition, in the U.S., Xbox One has had its best January to date and was the, was the only eighth-generation console that saw growth in January compared to the prior year, according to the NPD group. Uh, Team Xbox is committed to delivering the best gaming performance for our fans. You'll notice what Microsoft doesn't say was that the Xbox One was the best-selling console in January. And yes, that's because the PS4 took the crown again uh, based on NPD, NPD data, meaning it's accurate and U.S. only. Well, we all know that uh, Sony beats Microsoft hands down outside of the U.S. So Sony's beating Xbox in the U.S. Um, so it says, as you may recall, Xbox One experienced its biggest month, over, month ever for sales in the U.S. in December, and that like this past month, was only the current-gen console with year-over-year -year growth, and yet it fell short in December, too, and in November as well. So as I noted last month, the silver lining is that Xbox One looks great if you look at a wider time period. Xbox One somehow outsold PS4 over the second half of 2016, for example. But with years of defeats at the hands of the PS4, I think it's time to just admit that Xbox is never going to catch up, not in this console generation question then is whether that's okay um, the in there in the, and he says too the market for dedicated video game consoles seems quite strong and while no one should be happy with a two-to-one deficit when compared to the market leader the approximately 25 million xbox one consoles out in the world is nothing to be embarrassed by that's a solid business but more important xbox one sales about pesos with predecessors during a similar time and the 360 went on to sell 80 million units so He's saying, you know, the Xbox One is already ahead of pace of what the 360 did at this time frame in its life, and they sold 80 million units, so Xbox One will probably surpass that. But Sony is 
you know, got to be real. They're beating Xbox two to one. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down. And I, I honestly don't believe Project Scorpio is the answer. Um, the only way I think they can be the answer to it or to help s- slow the, you know, the rate of falling behind is if it's released at the same price as the Pro, which I don't know if they can do that based on what this console is supposed to do. So, not not that, not trying to be doom and gloom, Rob, and I'm not saying, you know, yeah. Xbox is over, but, you know, at this stage of the game, what, three years in, um, being behind by that much, do you think it's, uh, what, what can... Do you think it matters? That's my first question to you. Let me ask you that. Does it matter? That that is a very good question. And you can look at it from a couple of different ways. So, first of all, how much, on a personal level, I think for us and a lot of the people in our community, the, the number of PS4s versus Xboxes that are sold out there, Xbox Ones, we probably don't really care because it doesn't diminish our enjoyment of the system any. And from a user perspective, does it really matter? Does it really matter who's in the lead? I would say probably not. Um, my it, only concern it, it could, is... What? It could if... Hey, Rob, say you and I game all the time on Xbox One. I'm your co-op buddy. And all of a sudden I go, Rob, I got this PS4 Pro, dude. It's awesome. I sold my Xbox. Now you've just lost a friend. And unless you come across and jump ship too. So it can affect your friends when they start to go to another console. (laughs) You start to lose your player base. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know... Look at look at gamer folks. So you're either going to have two kinds of well, actually, period. You're either going to have two kinds of people. You're going to have the people that get one console and then that's it. And then you have the people that are full on gamers. They have everything. They have your Nintendos, your Sony's, your Microsofts, your you name it. They've got it all. So these sales numbers, I think, are only really influenced by the people that stick to one thing like I, I know a guy that he just buys sony he has even he has no clue he has no clue what else is out there he just buys sony a new sony comes out he just buys it doesn't really play it but he just buys it so that counts towards the numbers like out of those millions and millions of sony's that are out there i i'm curious to know what the actual use rate is Sony versus Xbox, but you know, that's something that we probably won't see. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't matter if all these are sold, because generally they're usually sold at a loss anyway. And where these well, companies make money from is the games. And are those Sony games being sold? Well, so that's that's kind of my question, too. And it's not when I ask the question, does it matter? I mean, does it matter from Microsoft's perspective? So not, not you and me, not the gamers. Yeah. You know, we've already, everybody on the show, we've already bought into it. You know, we bought our Xbox. From Microsoft's standpoint, they're losing. And we can, you know, Sony was losing last time, okay? 
and now they're the leader. So you could probably look at it that way, that it doesn't matter. And, and maybe the next round, maybe the Scorpio will. Maybe this is the next one that puts Microsoft back in the lead, and they're going to flip-flop. Who knows? Maybe the, the Switch will blow Sony and Microsoft both out of the water. Um, if that happens, though, I think I'm giving up gaming for good because I just don't yeah. see the whole thing. I just don't get Switch. To me, that should be the final nail in the coffin for Nintendo, but it won't be. But And I don't want it to be, but that system looks retarded. Um, but if they can't, if it continues to grow and they, and they throw Scorpio at it, so let's say Scorpio's coming the end of the year, if that doesn't start to make up the difference... Even with the with a much better piece of hardware, you know, does it matter? Does Microsoft look at that and go, I don't know, we just can't, we can't do it? Because if you look at it, they haven't been in this in this industry long, so they came out with their very first console to compete against PlayStation Two. Well, that you know, they came out long after PS Two had already been out, and that Xbox original Xbox didn't last long. Three sixty came out, had a year lead before the PS Four. For PS3. So yeah, they they had a whole year in with a new gen before Sony. They they had they were able to make up and, and lead. And I think at the end of that though, I'll have to look up the final numbers. I do believe that uh, PlayStation I think actually surpassed. I think PS3 actually surpassed 360. Um, I thought at one point it finally did. Uh, and uh, I can look those up later if we get some time, but. It didn't matter because, you know, Microsoft and the Wii won the console race anyways because of ridiculous numbers that that thing sold. But, and, and now Nintendo is pretty much straight in third. So, does it, you know, maybe it doesn't matter because we have a console manufacturer in third place. But, you know, the Switch is about to come out and Scorpio's coming out. Sounds like Sony's released their last one with the Pro. Um, I don't know. I just I just wonder if Microsoft needs to do something else to try to help it because I don't know if another console is going to make the difference. No, it it really depends on are are they facing the the Chrysler situation of the six of the like nineties. Do you remember all those uh, Chrysler cars in the 90s and 80s? They got such a bad rap that people would not even consider them. And, you know, they came out with some, you know, okay cars, but they had such a bad stigma that, you know, shoppers looked elsewhere. And then they took a long time to recover from that. Is the damage that was done and... You know, we'll, we'll go back to that pre-release thing that, uh, oh, I forgot that guy's name. What's the guy that left in with the Zynga? Uh, you know what I'm talking Patrick? about? Patrick? Yeah, yeah. You know, with him and all that stuff that happened in the pre-release and all the bad press and... You know, Xbox and the submarine, if you remember that. Yeah. You know, is Did that just create a bad stigma that they are just trying to recover from? I mean, did it? And if, if there is that stigma amongst people that don't follow gaming, then I, personally, I don't think a new system is going to do much for it. 
maybe it'll have to be next generation or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. It just so somebody's got to be in first. Somebody's got to be in first place. There's, right. there's got to be a second. Somebody's got to be in last place. So last place typically is Nintendo. Well, in our minds, at least. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. And then first and second is going to flip-flop between Sony and PlayStation. And they mean that's Sony and Xbox. Right. <laughs> Microsoft. So. Well, the thing is, too, and like it, Hawk said, um, yeah, they sell more games on they sell more. Oh, he says they sell more games on PS4, but not two to one. And the thing is, is we've seen people like um, Activision has jumped ship. They used to be all tied in with exclusives and early releases on Microsoft's platform. Now they've jumped over to PlayStation. There was another. I can't think. Of, I know there's another franchise that does that now too. That's flipped over. So uh, it's like. You know, uh, well, maybe I'm, that's still Activision because it's Call of Duty, and I think about it. So Call of Duty and Destiny have both kind of like, we're going over here and setting up in this camp, and, you know, to heck with Xbox, uh, we'll get it to you when we get it to you if we want to. Um, right. You know, those types of things, you know, people hear about that, you know, consumers hear about that, and, uh, you know, the, the whole thing with the P's, well, you only get 1080p over here, but you only get 900 over here, and even though you won't really notice the difference and the games look pretty much identical, people still hear that type of stuff. And that's why I'm just wondering if, if Microsoft needs to do something or are they okay? Is it is it all good? They're going to release the Scorpio, uh, whether it makes a difference or not. They still got great games, great service. You know, Is that all they need to do is just keep on doing on or do you think they need to step it up and try to do something to close that gap and get more even? So it's like, who... Who are the people that are totally on the Sony side? Is it people that just don't know? You know, is it just like the lemmings out there that just buy a system because they hear it's the best, but they have no idea? I think it's the majority of people, and that goes in any direction for anything. You know, that's just, uh, I think a lot of consumers are just uneducated. You right. know, you can look at that in any kind of... Let's take, uh, you know, uh, you're pretty much an Android guy, right, with your phone, and I'm a very much an iPhone guy. Um, but I don't, I'm not one of these diehard Apple people. I don't like Apple. I actually hate Apple. <laughs> um, but the iPhone is a pretty, I think it's a really fantastic product, and I've used Windows phones. I've used Android phones. Um, I've tried to get away from Apple, and uh, to me it's a superior product for me. It, it, it's great for me and uh, doesn't mean that I want Android or Windows. I hated that the Windows went away because I actually liked that phone. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, um, I think I was losing my train of thought. Uh, oh, uh, so you were asking, are people just uneducated? I think a lot of people are. They're just like, oh, this is just, this is great because that that's what my friend said so and they're a tech guy, so they must know what's going on. I'm not going to do any research myself to try to think for myself. I mean, look at it with politics or anything else in this world. You know, everybody just, you know, they read one website that some person throws up and, oh, well, it, it says it on the Internet. It must be true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people are that way. Um, you know, uh, Hawk said that even GameStop is still telling their employees they're, they're selling it wrong, saying the Xbox One must be online all the time. You know, um, and that's Microsoft's fault, 
you know, but I think GameStop is at fault at this point. Three years later, they should have their facts right if that's truly what they're doing. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that I don't think the Xbox One's any different than a PlayStation Four. If you want updates, or you gonna get this? You want to play online? Guess what? You got to be online. So, um, and and like Hawk says, people assume that people at GameStop or you know Best Buy or Walmart or wherever, if they're working in that department, people tend to take it that they know what they're talking about, and that's not the case. And in probably every instance, including GameStop, just because they're a game only store doesn't mean those guys are experts. They're just getting paid, you know. Probably a lot of them probably hate gamers. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, did you have any other thoughts on on this particular article? No. Ah, yeah, he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to. You got the next two. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So uh, I was actually pretty excited about this bit of news here. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that use Kodi. I've used Kodi for a long time. Previously, it was called XBMC, Xbox Media Center. It was uh, out for quite a while, actually. Wow. Could it be like 15 years? No, not 10 years. At least 10 years. Because it originally started on the original Xbox console in the Xbox Media Center. Dude, so, I think I remember that thing. Yeah, so here we are years later. Um, it's changed its name to Cody a couple of years ago. It's, uh, it's matured like crazy. It does so much stuff. And looks like it's going to be coming to Xbox One, which is, is pretty darn amazing. So uh, it'll be a uh, a Win32 app via something called uh, Project Centennial. It'll be coded as a native Windows app. So uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting that we'll be able to watch Kodi content or you'll be able to use Kodi on your Xbox One to watch your content. So I have a, a media server that I have in my house and I usually use Kodi to watch all the content from there. So it's going to be awesome to, to be able to ditch the Android boxes or you know, whatever you have that, uh, that you're using to watch the content and be able to do it on uh, Xbox One. Very exciting. Cool. And then uh, next up... Oh, yeah, here we go. Next <laughs> up, uh, backwards compatibility. I was having some trouble clicking the link because the link up above was hiding the link below <laughs> in our screen. Anyway, uh, Xbox backwards compatibility has been out for quite some time. We've got over 300 titles, I think. Yep. Two, three shows ago, we had the exact number. I don't recall exactly what it is. I want right to say now. it was like 314 or 323, yeah. maybe. I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Phil Spencer was posed a question as to whether backwards compatibility, 360 backwards compatibility, would come to PCs. So if you kind of think about it, Xbox One is technically a Windows box. It's got a Windows 10 core that is shared amongst all the different devices, PCs, mobile, and Xbox and such. 
So technically, if they can make games backwards compatible on an Xbox One, couldn't they also do it on PC? So you could actually have that entire uh, title range that you might have on uh, Xbox also be playable as Play Anywhere, maybe. Yeah. On your PC. And Phil Spencer's response was, never say never. Mm. So that doesn't rule it out. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. But uh, uh, they did go on to say basically that it is a little bit tougher to do it on PC with all the varying configurations versus an Xbox One, which is pretty much static. So you have you know, one set of processors, RAM memory, GPU, all of that, versus PCs, which could be anything. So I would imagine it would probably be a lot tougher to make it work on PCs, but never say never. Would yeah. you want to see this? Um, I It doesn't impact me in any way. <laughs> I would... If I'm gonna play backward compatible games, I'd do it on my on my one. You know, I wouldn't ever. I just don't play games on a PC, so I think it's a neat option. Um, the kind of cool part about that is maybe if you have an older laptop or something like that, and you're traveling, you might be able to play Xbox 360 games on your laptop or something. Uh, that that would be nice, you know, to pass the time if you're traveling. Sure. So I can see stuff like that. But I don't really have a great interest in it, but I think that's kind of neat. What I want to see is original Xbox games coming backward compatible, even though I probably wouldn't play them. But it would be nice to have that, you know, and those games are so old and most, like, even GameStop doesn't really sell those anymore. Um, you know, they, they could open up a store and sell those, you know, sell those old games sure. um, and have them just available working on your Xbox One. That, I would like to see that more than this. But I think having both is cool. Oh, yeah. Cool stuff. Okay, that was it. All right. Well, that wraps up our roundtable. But before we move on, I do want to say, guys, if you, uh, for those that are watching on Twitch, you're going to miss out on this. So you got to, I'm encouraging you to download this week's episode, the audio episode, because we are going to tag on about a 20-minute audio file courtesy of a This Sunburnt Life. This is from our friends in Australia. They have a little bit of a discussion uh, call about what is a game. So we are going to tack that on to the end of our audio show this week. Um, dude, it's 20 minutes long. I'm not gonna, we're not going to play it here um, because we do have time limits on the video. But uh, we will have that. It will be available on the audio version of the show this week. So please do be sure to download that and check it out. All right, so let's move on to, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can go to thisxboxlife.com, click on the voicemail uh, link on the right side, and uh, just send us a voicemail. Be sure to leave your gamer tag and question or comment, and we will put it in the show. Also, if you want to email us, you can email us at contact at thisxboxlife.com. All right, we did get an email this week, so... Uh, well, which I'll come back to. Also, Twitter. Um, you can go to, again, thisxboxlife.com forward slash Twitter or forward slash Facebook um, to reach our Facebook communities and Twitter. So your choice. They're all pretty easy links. All right. Um, 
So I want to go back to, we did get an email. This came from Skin. He says, hi guys, at the end of this week's show, Braun said that clicking the Amazon link from the TXL website was the best way for US only TXL fans to help support the show. Please, can we point out that the TXL website also has a link to the UK Amazon for fans in the UK to help support you also? Keep up the good work. So, Rob, when Brun said this last week, I I thought that he was in error, but I wasn't 100% sure. So I'm really glad this question came in. Now, my thought, my understanding was our, the sexboxlife.com forward slash Amazon link or the link from the website will both of those will take you to the correct Amazon store based on their IP location, correct? Yes, yes. All right. So cool. See, Rob did all his magic. He's our guru. And uh, Bron was wrong. <laughs> but he was sick. But I, I really thought he was. And I was like, well, I better not say something and then I be wrong and cause more confusion. So thank you, Skin, for writing in. And Rob, thank you for clarifying use that link or the one on the website if you're in uk it'll take you to the uk site we have a canada site uh i don't know we got them all over but uh, yeah definitely use that link uh facebook okay so this one might take a little bit of time um we had a question come in on facebook um we we are all devo uh, he says i i decided to take the plunge and try witcher 3 this is the first time I have played such a game. Is this normal to feel lost and confused? This feel this seems so overwhelming. And it created, you know, a bit of a conversation going on in the Facebook group and then um uh, oh, Dawn um I'm trying to remember her gamer tag. It's Dawn VC. I can't anyways, I'm drawing a blank, but it's Dawn anyway says I've played all the Fallout games and just started Fallout 4. And I'm in the same overwhelmed boat. Is it me, or have games given up on telling you how to do things in-game because they figure you can just Google how-tos? It sort of takes away my immersion if I have to pick up my tablet every few minutes to figure out how to do things. Fallout 4 gave me very little info on settlements. Remember manuals, the pieces of stapled paper that used to come with a game? I still miss them. And then she tagged me later and said, I really would like to hear you guys talk about this. Um, I... I do think that this is a problem. Um, I, I think in like, was it, uh, what game? I played something recently, I think, and there was like, I realized that like there was no tutorial. Uh, it seemed like there was like nothing. Like all of a sudden I'm like, why, why was there no tutorial? I don't know what to do. Um, and I just cannot remember what game that was. But um, games like, I remember being even before like Mass Effect. The original Mass Effect, was one where I'm like, I had no clue what I was supposed to do. And they, they may have had a decent training. Just could have been, I don't know, but uh, I don't remember the game you know, so long ago. But I remember buying the game, trying it out, because everybody was talking about how great it was. I, I couldn't figure out what to do. I couldn't get past a certain mission. I, didn't, I just didn't get it. It was confusing. I, I was lost. I didn't know what to do. So I ended up selling the game back to GameStop. And then, I don't know, a year or two later, it was right before Mass Effect 2 came out, I was like, man, that thing looks awesome. And I ended up going back to Mass Effect. I got lost or stuck at the same spot. And finally, I just asked uh, Kyle, uh, Moronic Cow from Achievement Hounds. I was like, dude, what? Because I knew he had played it. I was like, help me through this. And he actually was like, oh, you do this, you do that. This is what you. And once I got past that initial like hump, then 
it was game on. I was, you know, but I myself get, I, I, I have this problem all the time and I don't know if it's because I'm just getting too freaking old or if, you know, or it's just because, um, there's just not enough information anymore. Um, like training missions or, you know, talking about what you're supposed to do. Cause I feel that way with a lot of games these days. Like I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. So Rob, I can't really rely on you for the younger. <laughs> you're only a, you only got, I only got you by a year, but, um, what do you think? I mean, do you ever have this problem starting a new game? You know, it's this is the problem with what I'll call open world games. When you have games that you know, I think you and I both grew up on. What do we call them? Rail shooters or something right? like that. Yeah. Basically, you're guided through the entire game. You go into a room from a door. There's one door coming out of it. On the opposite side, and you go through it, and then repeat the process. You know, you're always looking for that next way out, and you know there's a little bit of familiarity with that, and you have a sense of accomplishment because you just go through stuff. When you have an open world game that you can kind of do whatever you want, you know that that requires a different level of play. That requires the type of person to actually go through and explore to kind of like see almost like in real life. Like if you're visiting another country, you know, it's like you don't know where to go and you don't know where to eat, where to stay. Well, you know, let's say if you just went there with, without having any plans or having booked anything. And that requires you to basically interact and figure stuff out and you make decisions on the fly. You know, that's what some of these games like the Fallouts and the Witchers are, where you just basically go by the game by the seat of your pants and you have to make the decisions and you might spend a bunch of time not knowing where you're at. You don't know where you're at. You don't know where to go. But eventually, once you go through enough, I think there's a tipping point where you actually now know enough about the environment, you know enough about what's around you that you can make those decisions you get the familiarity and uh then you have that sense of play again that uh, that, that you weren't getting earlier does that make sense sort of yeah i think like for me my real struggles have been more like you said like the open world or the rpgs like Neverwinter Nights, Star Trek Online, um, Elder Scrolls, uh, I tried that one, and there is so much to those games. I don't think there's a real possible, I don't think it's even possible for them to actually say, you know, here's how you do, and I think there might be, it's more of like, well, if you go read this manual that's in the game, you know, I think they put a lot of that type of stuff, like, into the game of, like, well, read this and explains it. And I, there's usually so much text in there, I'm just, like, skipping stuff. So I'm probably missing all the stuff that's teaching you how to play. But I, I, I'm i trying to remember what game it was that I played re- not long ago. And I don't I don't think it was one of those types of games. I don't think, you know, because those I'm always, like, I just don't know what to do. Oh, it was with The Division. That's what it was. Even The Division, which pretty much kind of handholds you, 
to certain points, like the main the main gameplay and the main things that you need to do. But when you get into like the crafting or um, the you can there's the option to like re-roll your weapons. It's like I never do that. I've never done that. I don't understand that. And it's like I've tried to go in there, and it was like I remember it was Mojo Red was talking to me uh, one day, and he was explaining all, and I'm like, how are these people getting these massive like damage numbers and stuff? I'm like half of that, and I've got a great weapon, and and he's like, oh well, you got to re-roll it, and I was like, what do you mean re-roll it? And I'm like, oh well, you go up to the station and you do this, and then you know you try to get different uh, um, features of the weapon or skills or whatever, and I'm just like, dude, I've been playing this game all wrong then, like you know. And it's like I I had like probably well over 100 hours in here. I wasn't even really playing the game fully or all the way correctly or I'm missing a big chunk that I'm not even aware of. Um, and I was just like, oh, man, this is frustrating. I should know this or I should understand it. Um, Neverwinter and Star Trek Online and Elder Scrolls. It's just like those, as fun as I might find those games, they have so much in them that it kind of goes beyond anything that I even want to delve into where I like, like Diablo three is awesome because it has some of that, but it's not ridiculously. It's like, it's more action oriented and not that. So I think that's like where I fall in. I can do that. And even that sometimes I'm like, Oh, well, which one's better? You know, you get into all these stats and you're like, do I get rid of this shield and take this shield or well, it's green here, but red there. And, you know, how do I know? And it lists all these traits, and you're like, well, what does all that mean? Yes, we are all Devo. It can be very overwhelming, very confusing. My recommendation in a situation like that is do what I've done. Find somebody on your friends list that's played it. Get in a party with them and say, dude, what the heck does this mean? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Start that conversation with someone because they can really help you out. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think that's about the only way around it. Because, yeah, there really aren't uh, any stapled guides anymore. No more handbooks to read. Would people even read them more? People I, used I to, I think. They, they used to, but I think we got out of that whole reading a book thing. Like, like with board games, for example. Board games come with a manual. An instruction manual rules they come with rules sometimes they're pretty in-depth there are multiple pages and there are a lot of people they can't even be bothered to read that they need somebody to show them how to play which is the popularity of YouTube and and all these other all these channels and games made that switch years ago they came with a manual. Then eventually they came with little books. Like I remember, it was a Baldur's Gate, for example, on PC. I, I want to say that came with a fairly big book. And you know, a lot of it was probably story. I don't remember exactly what was in it. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff in there. And we've migrated from that to the in-game tutorial that spoon-feeds you everything. Is is that maybe the problem that you were having earlier in the show when you were talking about it? Remember that? Could, when, be. Uh, Could be. I mean, yeah, you're right. Everything is kind of, you know, spoon-fed. We, I, I even feel like myself in my in my personal life, 
like that I'm like dumb, you know, like I can't remember anything because I don't have to remember anything. I just pull my right, phone right. out and Google it now. You know, I, I couldn't tell you what my phone number is. I actually was in the Walmart the other night with my daughter and trying to punch in the little, or not Walmart, the Walgreens, trying to punch in the code for the reward program that my wife's on. And I'm like, okay, I know her cell phone. I know my cell phone. I'm like, I, she, and my daughter's like, I think it's the house number. And I'm like, I don't know what the house number is. I don't use it. I don't call it. You know? Yeah. And it's like, the only phone number I really know is mine and my wife's. And that's it. Because everything else, I used to know everybody's phone number. I used to know yours. I don't know your phone number anymore. And your phone number hasn't changed in like 30 years. You know? Okay. It's like, you know, I, I just go in and hit your name on my phone and it dials. It's like, I don't need to know that anymore. Um, yeah. We were talking to the... I was talking with the kids uh, last night. We were at dinner, and it was talking about we were talking about solar flares. And my son's like, "I heard solar flares can like wipe out your phones." And I said, "Well, they can, you know, if we have them, yeah, they can disrupt cell communications, take out your GPS on your phone, so they don't work and stuff like that." And I was like, I told the wife, I said, "Man, I would be lost without my GPS because I rely on it when I travel so much that it's like, man, if I didn't have that, you almost feel like, what do I do?" How do I get, how do I find the airport? You know, it's like, I'm going to have to go ask somebody and then write down directions and you can't buy a map anymore. <laughs> when my dad was out here or uh, visiting not long ago, he just wanted a map, like to see the area, you know? And it was like, we went to several different places before he found one. It's like, oh, hey, here's one. They actually have one. And then it was super expensive. So... It's, it's, yeah. uh, yeah, we've gotten so relying on technology that I think we've kind of dumbed us down and video games are pretty much the same way. They, we've gotten so used to them walking us through and shooters usually do. They usually walk you through how to do this, but then it's also annoying at the same time. It's like, Oh gee, really press B to crouch just like in every other game, you know? Um, what? I mean, I hold left trigger to zoom in on, look down my scope. Really? Like every other game? So then you, you know, I think you run the line of, okay, they already know how to play this, you know, but open world games is tough. And I think that I would like to see more training on that. But where do you draw the line when you got a game that has so much stuff in it? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you don't want to bore people like crazy. There's been so many games, let's say on PC in particular, where... I start the tutorial and then I lose interest halfway through the tutorial. I never even get to the game. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. You do. No, I so get through a, it. I know you don't. You, you, I think you're lucky to get through the tutorial on many games. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember, um, like that game, that video game, uh, Falcon 4.0? Yeah. Do you ever remember that it was back on? Uh, was I'm in a microprose game on the on the on back on Windows. I remember having that friggin' manual, dude. That manual had to be that thing. I mean, it was like like a real pilot's manual. It's like you, it's like you really had to go to school and learn how to fly a plane to play the video game. <laughs> um, I don't miss that, you know. I don't miss that, but I do. I think having manuals were nice. But don't you're not alone out there. Um, uh, that's yeah. You're not alone. <laughs> all right. I think that's all for our community stuff, Rob. I think it's time for you to earn your money. All right. 
Did we talk about it? Yeah, we talked about all the stuff. Okay. So uh, retail releases for this coming week. Uh, there's a bunch of titles. And the page is not loading. There it is. All right. So we got a whole bunch of titles. How to Survive, How to Survive 2, actually. Releases on February 13th. On Valentine's Day, we get a nice gift of Sniper Elite 4, Ride 2, For Honor, Vertical Drop Heroes HD, MX Nitro, Star Trek Online Agents of Yesterday, Battle Islands Commanders. And uh, so that was it on the 14th. And then on the 17th, we have Halo Wars 2 Ultimate Edition. And then Standard Edition releases on the 21st. So that's a good amount of titles, actually. Yeah, you got three major releases with For Honor, Halo Wars 2, and Sniper Elite 4. Um, so I'm looking, my gaming buddy, he bought Halo Wars 2. So I'll be playing that at the end of the week. Um, but uh, I, Sniper Elite 4 was one that was like, yeah, I like that. I like that series. I played Sniper Elite 2. I really liked it. I played 3, which I enjoyed, but I kind of felt it was a little weak. It wasn't as good, I thought, as 2. So I really was like, mm, I don't know. I, I don't know. I know I want to get Wildlands. I know uh, Run's getting Mass Effect and uh, Halo Wars, so those count. You know, those two I didn't have to buy. I was like, well, I was there was something else too. So Ghost Recon and I forgot what the other one was I was looking at, but I was like trying to debate between Sniper Elite and something else, um, and I ended up watching a video yesterday of Sniper Elite 4. And just watching it cuz I was like, you know, this is it's got the whole bullet time, you know, and then it goes through the skull and you see it break the, you know, go through the eyeball or through the heart. You see that all internally. And it's like, yeah, they've done that. But and it's like, yeah, you know, okay, whoop de do. But when I saw it, I was like, when I saw it again, I just kind of like started grinning and I immediately was just like, "Oh, I can't wait to play this game. I want to play this game again." And the game looks amazing. It's like visually, wow, they, they really have upped their game. And uh, it looks fantastic. And they've also added in that uh, whole, like, x-ray vision, if you will, like when you melee somebody. So, like, you can punch a guy and they actually go into that slow-mo. You punch him and you see, like, his gut and all that getting pushed in. And, and then, the, when they, then the guy pulls out a knife and he stabs the guy in the head. And you see the x-ray vision again when he stabs him in the head. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That looks so cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm like, I ended up pre-order. I ended up buying that one. So I will definitely be playing Sniper Elite 4 this week. Um, if anybody else gets it, I'm um, I'm assuming they're going to have multiplayer in it. Uh, um, it's, I know they did in 3, but I think it was cooperative stuff which is cool. So if, if that does exist in this game, then uh, and you've got it, hit me up. I will definitely jump in with you and play some co-op for Sniper Elite 4. But looking forward to uh, playing that. All right. Anything so, on this uh, list that you want? Uh, let me see here. 
Sniper Elite 4, definitely. Although Sniper Elite 3 was kind of weird. It was like weird visuals of that one. Can't put my finger on it. There was... Sniper Elite 3 to me was... Seems to me it was... Uh, I think what I didn't like was... Uh, a lot of really large open spaces and like if i recall you could get sniped from somebody like that wasn't even in your view um and i just remember having to replay some stuff over and over because it was just really like real complicated it was it wasn't as straightforward yeah. as two was so i'm hoping this one is a little bit more like two but the the visually it looks great so uh, check out the latest video on that. There's one out there that shows him taking out the uh, Hitler, um, and that that one looks fantastic. Highly, highly recommend checking that video out because he's indoors, and you really get a sense of you know how good it looks. Now, I will say this is that the AI, I thought several times, and I even posted this on my Facebook group, and I did post the video there, um, that the AI, my one concern was like, like the AI kept walking right past him like while they're searching for him. Several times, they just walked right past him. I'm like, he's standing right there. How did this, you know, that was kind of stupid. And then it seemed like this guy just kept getting shot like crazy, and he didn't die at all. And I was just like, well, what the heck, you know? So I'm, I'm hoping it was just this guy was playing on the easiest level. Um, because if not, that was like, this will be a cakewalk based on what I saw. But the game looks great, and I'm hoping that, you know, that, that there is a harder level, which I'm sure there will be because they usually have that, that uh, will be a little bit uh, better to play. So, I'm getting it anyway. So. Yeah, so that and Halo Wars 2. Yes. Yep, I got that one ready to go as well. <laughs> uh, and right, uh, Carbide, stop using caps. <laughs> All right, Games with Gold for February. These uh, updated... Well, about a week and a half ago. So uh, you got a couple more days to get the first half of February titles. So as of right now, they are Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time for Xbox One. And then on the 360, we have Monkey Island 2 Special Edition. And then... Uh, Second half of February for Xbox One, we have Project Cars, Digital Edition, and then we will be getting Star Wars Force, The Force Unleashed. Uh, both of those games, uh, actually all those games are free, and make sure to get the backwards compatibility titles uh, as well, because they are backwards compatible, and you can play them on your Xbox One. Possibly your PC, if <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. We shall see. Never say never, right? Right. right. Then uh, if you're thinking of some way how you can support the podcast, then one way that you can do that is by clicking on our affiliate link each and every time you make your purchases on Amazon. Uh, we all make purchases through there by gifts, by regular consumables, who knows what, spare parts. Uh, appliance parts. Uh, just make sure to use our affiliate link each and every time that you make those purchases. Does not cost you anything extra by clicking on that link. But we get a little teeny tiny little finder's fee for each purchase, uh, basically as a finder's fee for sending you their way. 
And also, if you're on iTunes, find our show on there and give us a rating, five stars, if you would, please. The more five-star ratings that we get, the, uh, the higher up we go in the rankings over there, and it helps us become a featured show. So more and more folks can find out about the show and grow the community. And I believe that's about it for this episode. You got anything else to add, Mark? Uh, just a reminder uh, to be sure to download the audio version of this show this week. And uh, you can, if you've already heard us through tonight, you can fast forward to the end and listen to the last 20 minutes to hear what is a game courtesy of This Sunburnt Life. That's Richard Mandrew down in Australia. So uh, be sure to check it out. Uh, otherwise, that's it. I am Mark A.K. Wingman709. Take it off. I'm Rob, also known as Prestar. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hello, this is Andrew and Richard from Melbourne, Australia, and we are This Sunburnt Life. If you enjoy gaming and looking behind the games to discover the worlds that games create in your mind, this is for you. On today's show, what is a game? Hello, Richard. I'm looking forward to our conversation today where we'll crack the nut of what is a game. You see, we can come at this from different angles. Richard, you're a computer programmer, and I was fortunate to study game theory under a professor with a PhD in this topic. But the one thing we have in common is that family member who turns real coin into credits on a procession of resource gathering games, acquire limited resources, build a defense and attack, rinse and repeat. I remember walking into a store years back with him complaining, no, they don't have it. Come on, let's go. And the store assistant, he called out in amazement, what is it? What don't we have? What are you looking for? What I want, he pronounced, is a game where I build a tower and make myself strong and other people come and try to hurt me. Do you have such a game? I remember that. And the way he stood was as if he was actually under siege and wanted to be under siege. Well, as infantile as this sounds, it cuts to the heart of what resource resource gathering games are about. It's akin to a wino bringing his paper bag with him to the store as a ready declaration of what he is after. So, Richard, what is a game? Well, it has to be structured. It has to be enjoyable. Exactly. A game has to have structure and it has to be enjoyed. A game has to have agreed mechanics or there's no shared understanding. Secondly, it has to be fun. The game Ludo, for goodness sake, even has its name written on the tin. Ludo is the Latin word for play. The issues that I have with resource games, which are really just like creating a sand mandala if you don't actually progress into the gaming dynamic, there's no development of the character. <clears throat> the game quickly becomes a churn, resembling that of, of a machine operation, one of the reasons I don't go to and play the slot machines, and there's no end goal. Players just become defensive in this defensive you know, gaming environment. They build up a safe space and say that they have their own order. Every player is, in fact, a sheriff in a Wild West that isn't wild at all, and uh, people are unwilling to abandon the whatever index they've got to show their seniority in the game that they've created and unwilling to abandon the time they've invested. So, Richard, can you have a game without an end? 
yes, it's called religion. Uh, and that word comes to mind, midrash, which is a, a, a real word used in the divinity community, which is when a religion actually has a retelling of the creation myth and the purpose of the chosen community. Without a midrash or retelling of this, attrition ends the community. So the characters have trod their path, um, trudged along generation on generation if it's a game or generation on generation if it's a religion. Uh, there's been no gods come down from the sky to judge the characters. There's no wealth that people can take into their real life. Um, perhaps it's time for a new expansion to destiny. Um, attrition ends the community of a game like that. Sometimes a game can secrete resource-gathering games into its mechanics. Fable 2, for example, offered the income-earning tasks of blacksmithing, woodchopping, and loot-playing. Also nested in the game was the purchase and rental of properties. A further mechanic still was the setting of prices for goods at markets. I've played Fable 2 through, and recently on Backwards Compatible replayed the first half. I finished the game, sadly none the richer, as Gary Gygax said, of Dungeons and Dragons. The magic spells are as real as the gold. Try retiring on that stuff. Yes, as pithy as that might sound, um, that was a comment by Gary Gygax that any evil committed in his games is is trivial and has, doesn't translate to the real world at all. It's completely harmless. It's the spells, the magic, the violence are no more real than the money that you accrue. So Fable introduced trading and resource gathering mechanics into an adventure quest. A computer generation older, replaying the mechanics was for me a meta experience. I looked outside the task to my own commentary, and well, it was a churn. Fable itself looks beyond the tasks at a high level with meta commentary. Citizens will scold you on the streets for owning all of the land's properties and living with wealth. You know, a lot of Fable is wish fulfillment like any game. Or we don't have sahibs that live amongst us whom we admire, who live in our community and provide real employment. The purpose of the obscenely rich who live amongst us completely eludes us. Um, let's face it, they live an eternal life like teenagers, and we do wish that people were accountable to each other. And so the meta commentary of Fable is, is something enjoyable. Most resource management games operate without this payoff without this social critique. I guess a bit like the Greek choir would do in ancient Greek plays. The economic systems built within resource games operate strictly in the literal sense of economics, that is the management of scarce resources. And frankly this comes from a mindset a couple of centuries old, that period before the creation of credit and lending to states, and trading companies like the Dutch and British East Indies companies. The remnants of this are seen in net sum game mechanics, economics, and also for conflict. You see, the existence of credit means that economies can relend money and focus on comparative advantage. The blinkered approach in games is to steal $1 of credit from a neighbour, to hold $1 of credit of resources to topple your opponent, and frankly that's simplistic, and the Western world, this is less and less practice. Except it's not. Uh, under Lord Shelburne, it was apparent that the uh, British Empire could no longer um, exist as a military might, as the British East India Company had more warships than any other nation or company on earth, and it was decided the British Empire would continue on as a credit-based empire, 
and the money that's actually put into existence is created into existence or winked into existence through debt. It never exists and it's only the creation of wealth is the creation of debt. It's the debt trap. So I think that the, the steal $1 credit from a neighbor to hold $1 credit is exactly what any good empire did that had its um, span of land across that the sun never never set on. And that's a separate topic in itself. We could go back to the Dutch liberation from the Spanish Empire and then the transition of that across that power to the British Empire. But two parties in conflict, seeking only to dominate by might, will enjoy that equation until the might is unbalanced. But a game has an ending, and game inhabitants, players, and NPCs should liquidate their cash for services well before the realisation that the game is ending. And game economies just don't function with that reality. Can you imagine the impending sense of drama if instead of having a stop-down clock that you've got so long to live that people started selling up everything, inflation was going through the roof, people didn't want to work anymore, and they were saying to you, this illusion is nearly over, it's almost time to wake up. Make what you plan to do in this game count now. So in game theory, we look at maximization of returns and the intention of the other party. Some of you may have heard of the prisoner's dilemma. It's a famous example where both prisoners have the choice of refusing to testify against each other and achieve a significantly reduced sentence. It's an interesting puzzle, as the prisoners are unable to communicate with each other. I've studied dispute resolution recently and see that computer games have fundamentally failed to approach constructive resolutions for conflict, and I take this very seriously. But what if both players of a game refuse to advance? What if in a game of chess nobody contested the centre of the board, never mind taking another people's pieces, but just the contesting for strategic advantage? Well, where is the game in that? And that may work in reality. You see contests of chapels in the Holy Land, where each group has its restricted access. Religion's been argued to be a conditioned artificial response to humans' natural reactions. So far, we've discussed why resource management games are truly for mugs, how game economics is so simplistic that it doesn't take into account how two parties working together can actually achieve more than a zero-sum game, and how conflict resolution is portrayed the same way in gaming. Let's move on to the pile of shame. Richard, you've got a few games that are in your pile of shame. You know, it's that it's that feeling that you should be a patron of the arts and you should buy a game because you believe in supporting the author even if you won't have time to play it. And what if no one will make your own fantasy land for you if if you refuse to? So... In a way, I'm proud of having a pile of shame. I feel like I'm a, I'm a Medici in, uh, in Naples. That's right. No patrons, no Patreons, no artists. But I'm going to be honest with you, Richard. I frankly don't care how many games you have in your pile of shame. Simply don't care. That's your bag, man. And I used to care about mine. Couldn't care less. I've been doing a lot of thinking, middle-aged anxiety and such. I used to love lists. Here is what I'll achieve this year. Here is what I did achieve last year. But happiness eludes me still. The pile of shame is a marker of goals you failed. 
If I need to measure myself, this is one set of achievements maybe I can attain. Now, I'm not a Buddhist, but as I started to abandon DVDs and CDs and a lot of material paraphernalia and start to stream daughter, I thought, how minimalist things are becoming in this age. So I thought about Buddha's teaching that you must abandon all desires if you want to avoid suffering. That is your nirvana right there. So instead of setting goals that I must achieve, e.g., you know, I'd like a certain color belt in karate this year, or I'd like to give a stage performance on banjo, I'm looking more at participating in the activities I love, playing and participating rather than competing against myself. So the participation in what I love is what it's about. I don't have to unlock every festival in Forza Horizon 3. But if, like you, Richard, you love the game, that will come. Or it won't. But either way, it's not what's important. So your pile of shame is your self-mandated chore. It's how you define yourself and how you hold closed your door to nirvana. Well, when's your recreation become a pursuit, you know, it's when you nail your trousers to the mast and say you're going to do something, you know. One day you're in the gym lifting weights and then you sign yourself up for a beginner's contest, let's say a powerlifting contest. Now it's a pursuit. It's not just a recreational thing. So speaking of Forza, I myself, I'm in a gaming club and we've got games to achieve. Um, we've got world domination on the Australian continent to achieve. So that... That's my thing. Uh, I look at gaming like I look at how a film was written. Uh, I see a scene is concerned with the immediate wants of the character. We don't get to see his ego, which is really what a reel shows. And then three reels actually shows. Um, normally in the second reel, a person reconsiders his life, and in the third, he attains his new desire, right? Well, every every film has an act, and... An act will me, I'll, I'll guide it by achievements. So in Forza Horizon 3, I'll say, right, where are the points and where does it give me variety in the game? Right, I'm yet to, dr to drive in a convoy for so many kilometers and to play interactive races on um, Blizzard Mountain to represent my gaming club. That seems like where the ego will head. But when I actually come home at the end of the night at 10 o'clock and turn on the thing, I say, well, I'd like to have a bit of bit of a thrill in motorsports on the Australian continent without any consequence. So that's how I look at it. Now, it's I'm a motor racer. I'm not playing for character development. And that's another thing, the character development. How do we grow with it? Richard, have you ever played a game and noticed that you had changed as a result of playing? Whatever gives you a theory of mind will open you up. It'll make you more receptive to other people or even receptive to the, the deep currents within yourself. Um, we had this discussion the other day. Do you think if someone was a psychopath that they would be bothered playing games of domination against the computer rather than against other people? Well, the game exists only in the person's mind, so as long as he can see them as a competition, it'll be the same stimulus for him. That's just it. Otherwise, it's just a process. Um, in theory of mind, when I was um, on a stopover in Singapore, I was just boggled at the number of bookstores that they had on Orchard Road. And I came to the conclusion when I was a young man then that perhaps Singapore would be the most civilized city on earth. Well, 
that there's books, there must be a theory of mind and empathy from reading, so voila, there you are. Case closed. And then someone told me, oh, they don't actually pay copyright on their books like other nations, so bookstores are just profitable. <laughs> However, to gaming, um, playing Life is Strange, which is my favorite game this generation, and having played as a female character um, who went through the trauma of conspiring with her best female friend and separation and angst at school, and then conspiratorially being coaxed into committing a a mortal act on her quadriplegic friend. Um, having myself recently fractured my neck, I, I was in a real quandary in the game and I was unable to make any decision of this consequence and I had to leave the gaming room quite troubled. Uh, other little things in the game like how you treat a, a hopeful pursuing male and you know what little tokens of affection you dish off to him it made me see things through a woman's uh, point of view. It didn't make me more female. Yeah, I hope that's not what you're implying, <laughs> but <laughs> as it changed me as a gamer. Um, but it really cast a spell on me because the game was clever enough to wrap me in its own time loop. I bought it as a presentation package, and the game itself has a time dynamic. I'm not going to give anything away, but it came with a hardcover photo scrapbook of photos that I was yet to take and memories yet to have, uh, later in the game, I could leap from photo to photo too. Mm, Nietzsche said we're influenced by both the past and the future. I wonder if that's what he meant. <laughs> well, I see, it also came with the CD soundtrack, which I'd play in my car, and I'd mull over the game between episodes, as it took me a couple of weeks to play. And although I hurt many of the characters in the game, and with my controller time, I could rectify the pain, I didn't, as I honoured the decisions and mistakes as real memories, uh, like the earthy tone of a perfume which gave it its sustaining presence in my mind. And to me, they're real memories. They're not memories of real things, but they're chemically laid down in the brain with as much pain and as much energy so that if I talked about this game with another person who went through some of the same paths as me, We'd really be recounting real experiences. Gaming has prompted me, Richard, to read and discover, and games communicate another perspective or horizon. And if that other horizon is meshed with your own, you create a new fundamental understanding. Now, in my opinion, you know I'm a big Paul McCartney fan, and I think he's the greatest musician who ever was. But without John Lennon, he would have made Red Rose Speedway some 40 times. <laughs> well, look, I was a school teacher for some time, student teacher, and uh, I always asked myself, what is a Renaissance education? And uh, I came up with the idea given to me by LaRouche that it was two paradoxes that require a synthesis of a new model. Now, it could be a new economic model, a new scientific model, a new society model. It wasn't two things blending smoothly together because that's not a renaissance education. And Look, I don't believe that Western civilization is giving a renaissance education apart from the Nordic countries. Well, that's my two cents. No, I'd say you're right. And if we go to the French and look at the word renaissance, which is the rebirth, it really has to be fundamental change of a person. 
Just like the holodeck in Star Trek, I understand that a simulation is the perfect vehicle to transport and transform the mind in Bioshock one's forced into a limited resource environment again, where one can choose to harvest little sisters to gain Adam. Well, is there any consequence as a person to choosing right or wrong? In Fable 2, I was invited to join an evil society upon eating chickens and sacrificing villagers. Is the first gulp of a baby chicken a moral sin? Is it just another facet of the game to explore? Am I just stepping into another character? Evil has consequences. In Bioshock, these are determined by a tersely worded soliloquy at the end of the game, and in Fable, by things as meagre as the denial of service from stores. The novel upon which Bioshock was chiefly modelled, Atlas Shrugged, looked at objectivism, right and wrong existing externally from our own determination. Whether you think about it, whether you choose it to exist or not, there is right and there is wrong. Surely then in the world of Bioshock, to harvest a little sister was morally wrong, regardless of how you were rewarded by the coding. Well, if you look at Ayn Rand's background and her reaction to collectivism um, of the Bolsheviks taking her family's pharmacy, and not just once but several times, it's really paralleled in in Bioshock. You're taking a little sister that doesn't belong to you and harvesting her. It it's really the the collectivization there. It is it morally wrong in the story itself. Some people say it was. Um, not uh, given the consequences that it should, but I'm not going to spoil the game. Well, I'm sure that some sandbox games give a more Nietzschean-flavoured world where the despair of there being an absence of any objective truth or governing power makes one yearn for a hand to hold. Richard, I've always been interested in communication, from CB radios to podcasting, and maybe that's the reason why both of us have taken up languages as hobbies. One thing I'm intrigued with is if gaming and the internet has brought people together, if there's been that social connectivity. I'm quite excited that they're recently wrapping up the filming of Blade Runner Offworld in Budapest. As it happens, I've read the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, upon which Blade Runner was based, several times. Curiously, each time I read it, I was travelling on train through Hungary. There were two themes that were only echoed in the original movie. The first was the sanctity of life which was the reason that possession of recreated owls and snakes was referred to in the film. The other part, completely neglected in the film, was the messianic belief in Mercerism. Mercer was a physically persecuted figure who united believers in their experience of his suffering, of his passion. Connected by a network we could identify today only as the internet, people would share their joys, elations and sorrows with each other so that one feeling sorrow would feel less sorrow, and one with joy, less joy. People imparting their experiences would dull them, balancing the community, but also wearing the physical concussion of Mercer's persecution. Now, the internet, true, it does serve up its menu of webcam girls to excite and dilate its participants, but gaming, online communities, and games themselves have failed to provide, in my opinion, any real social connectivity. Well, with the NSA, we know that we're never alone. And uh, just to go on with your um, animal symbolism, the sanctity of life, um, owls and snakes being recreated by corporations in the form of pyramids on the top of a hill um, did have its own symbolism in it, which which really wasn't in the book. Uh, the film Blade Runner it really took 
community identity in a contradictory way. Um, in the film, people lived and they shuffled in chains of, of tribes that were once exotic, like Hare Krishna tribes, into this hidden streets of a fusion culture city. And the really only thing that people had to keep them together was this exhausting wish to escape off-world. That was the only global unifying hope. I know that as an Esperantist, I love watching science fiction films like Gattaca, for example, where they throw in the odd scene in Esperanto. And there was a curious scene there in Hungarian, Richard, in Blade Runner, between a Chinaman and Harrison Ford. It's a G-rated film. I can't tell you exactly what he said. <laughs> um, it was incongruous to use that language. It was a, a Mexican Mexican man who was speaking Hungarian in a Chinese noodle bar. Yeah, it was a, a fusion culture city with, with a exhausting drenched rains. Um, and how does this relate to gaming? Well, what we're looking for is a common touchstone of interconnectivity. We can see that some of it shared through a fusion of cultures coming together. But the internet and gaming itself hasn't really brought people together to do much, I would argue, than to shoot zombies, aliens, and perceived enemies. Assassin's Creed has finished its run quite early on the cinemas, the Assassin's Creed movie. Uh, it's... I guess it's very hard to translate the feeling of growing into a character, of having gained skills as something you've deservedly earned, uh, the whole feeling of levelling up or earning an extra ball on a pinball table. It's quite hard to put into the film. But didn't Ralph Macchio achieve exactly that? We suffered with him through, what, four Karate Kid movies? And never once did he learn any karate. Well, on that, we'll bow out. We'll say goodbye.